going to finish our sermon series today on what the Bible says about the end times. What the Bible says about the end times. And so we started it two weeks ago. And of course, last Sunday we didn't have church. And so I'm going to finish it today. And so uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the end times. And I'm going to finish it today. So starting next week, we'll deal with something else next week. So um, th- when, when we look at the end times, we are, we are approaching what we call the rapture of the church. Now, there are some Christians who don't believe in the rapture of the church, but we believe if you look at scripture, the Bible clearly teaches us that there is a catching away of believers. And so before I get there, I want to explain to you something that the scripture is very clear to us about uh, to help us understand what is at stake, especially the day and age that we live in. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 32, Matthew 32, excuse me, Matthew 24 and verse 32. And I want you to see what Jesus says here that I think is so very, very important that you see what's happening right before our eyes. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 32. Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Gentlemen, please fix my mic, please. Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. All right. Verse number 32. Now learn this, the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. So Jesus stands to his disciples and he tells his disciples that when you see the fig tree bloom, you will know that the end is near. Now look at it. Jesus said, when you see the fig tree bloom, you will know that the end is near. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you will know that it's near at the door. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is so very close, like somebody's right at the door. It's very close. When you see the fig tree bloom. Now, the question is, is who is the fig tree and what does the fig tree represent? Well, the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. I want you to go very quickly to Hosea, and I want you to see that the fig tree represents Israel this morning. Hosea chapter number 9. And I want you to see uh, verse number 10, Hosea 9, verse 10. And I want you to see this description that the prophet says or likens Israel to a fig tree. Hosea chapter number 9, verse number 10. He said, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, and I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in the first season. So the prophet is speaking to his people who is the nation of Israel, and he is speaking to his people and said to the people, your fathers are like the first fruits on the fig tree. So, and there's multiple scriptures to prove this, and I'm just going to read one of them because the prophet, several prophets alluded that the fig tree represented the children of Israel. So this was one of the primary scriptures that give us the indication that Israel represents the fig tree. And Jesus says in Matthew 24 that when you see the fig tree bloom, you will know that the the time of the end is near. Now, who is the fig tree? 
the fig tree is the nation of Israel. And Jesus is saying, when you see the nation of Israel bloom, you will know that the end is near. When you see the nation of Israel bloom, you will know that the end is near. Well, you know anything in history, in 70 AD, about 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus, Rome came into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 24 and said to his disciples, not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus prophesied the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem. It was destroyed. And when it was destroyed in 70 AD, God's people, God's holy people, was scattered throughout the whole world. Scattered throughout the whole world. How do I know this? Well, the writers of the Bible in the New Testament gives us the indication that the children of Israel was scattered throughout the world. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 1, it'll be in the screen behind me. Look at this. It gives us the indication that the children of Israel were scattered throughout the world. James chapter 1 and verse number 1. Look at this. James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because if you don't pay attention to this, you'll lose me. Now, I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. Matthew 24, Jesus is saying that the end is very near and you will know that the end is near when you see the fig tree bloom. If you go in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea said that the fig tree represents the children of Israel. But we know in history that the children of Israel was scattered throughout the whole world. Now, why, why is that important for you to know that? When Israel lost its sovereignty in 70 AD, the children of Israel were scattered throughout the whole world and Israel did not exist. There was no such thing as Israel. It did not exist anymore. They were scattered throughout the whole world. That is why there is conflict in the Middle East. That is why the Palestinians are upset with the Jewish people because the Palestinians said, you never existed before. This land belongs to us. And you so happened because of the United Nations in the 1960s declared that Israel can have their land back. You never existed before. That's true. They, they were scattered throughout the whole world. Israel was almost demolished. They were scattered throughout the whole world. But God said, when you see Israel bloom, you will know that the end is near. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that Israel is going to bloom again. If they are scattered throughout the world, what does it mean? Well, look at this scripture. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, verse 7 through 9. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Look at what the prophet says here concerning Israel and Israel's land. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse 7. I want you to see what the prophet is saying concerning Israel. Behold, it's speaking of Israel. She was in labor, and she gave birth before her pain came. She delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as, Zion, for as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord. Shall I who cause delivery sh uh, shut up the womb, says the Lord. 
So you see what the prophet is saying? The prophet is saying that Israel is going to be birthed again. Israel is going to come alive again. Israel is going to come back on the scene again. Israel is going to come into existence again. They were destroyed in 70 AD. The people were scattered throughout the world. But God said through the prophet, before the last day, the fig tree will bloom. The prophet Isaiah says, hold on. Israel is going to give birth again. Israel is going to come alive again. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what's happening in front of our eyes. You see, God said to Abraham, who is their forefather, that that land over there in the Middle East belongs to Israel. The Bible says in Genesis 13, verse 14, look at it. Genesis 13, verse 14. The Bible says that God said that this land belongs to Israel. And the Lord said to Abram and to Lot, and, and they separated, lift, lift up your eyes now and look from this place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Look at verse 14. For all the land for which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Bible. God said to Abraham, Abraham, with your nephew Lot, I want you to look as far as you can see. I want you to look to the east, to the west, the north, and the south, as far as you can see. And I want to tell you something, Abraham. All of it belongs to you and to your descendants. This belongs to you, Abraham. It is a promise. It belongs to you. Amen. But you'll see that Israel was scattered throughout the world. They lost it. But Jesus said prophetically, when you see the fig tree bloom, you will know that the end is near. Hosea said the fig tree is God's people. God said that land belongs to Israel. And you know what history declares? History declares, history declares that on May 14th, 1948, in one day, the United Nations declared on their floor that Israel would become a nation again. And guess what happened on May 14th, church? Israel came alive again. Israel began to bloom again. The fig tree began to bloom again. And if the fig tree bloomed on May 14th, 1948, when that star of David began to fly over that Palestinian land, God said, I am keeping my word. I said to my son years ago to Abraham that that land belongs to my people and it will stay to my people no matter what. And so what are you saying? I am saying that we are living in the last days. God's prophetic calendar, God's prophetic clock begin to tick when Israel was made a nation on May 14, 1948. Israel became a nation. Israel bloomed again. The fig tree bloomed again. And guess what? All throughout the world, Jews are going back to Israel. They're getting on, they're getting on planes and going back to Israel. You know why? Because the prophet Zechariah said, before the great day of the Lord, 
I will gather all my people from the four corners of the earth and I will bring them back to their land, the land that I swore to their father Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. I'm letting you know today that if you don't know the Bible is true, that's enough to prove the Bible is true. The Bible is true. And on, on the prophetic calendar, we know that Israel has bloomed and the end is near. The end is near. Jesus said it. Jesus was very clear about it. Look at it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 32, Now learn this, the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. What's the context? Read the verse before. What's the verse before? Verse 31. The context is the coming of the Lord. Verse number 31. Jesus said this. And he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they will gather together the elect from the four corners or the four winds of one another from heaven to the other. So Jesus is talking about the coming, his coming. And he says, how do you know I'm coming? What is the sign that I'm coming back? The sign that I'm coming back is when the fig tree blooms. When Israel blooms, when Israel becomes a nation, you'll know that the end is near. So ladies, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, we're living in the end of the end. Jesus is coming back. The very first thing that we know is going to happen is what we call the rapture of the church. The rapture is a Latin word which means to be caught away. Everybody shout, to be caught away. It means to be caught away. Thank you. It's a little warm in here. It means to be caught away. So the very first thing that happens is the rapture. First thing, number one, the rapture takes place. The rapture is a catching away of all believers around the world. Now, there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. The second coming is when Jesus actually sets his foot on Mount Olives, while the rapture is a secret catching away of all believers around the world. Now, many people will dispute this and say, well, I don't believe in a rapture because there's not enough evidence for it. But I want you to see that the Bible is very clear that there were many raptures in the Bible. For instance, in Genesis 5 verse 21, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. This is the first rapture that you see in the Bible. There are many raptures that happen. There was many catching away of the people of God. The first rapture was a man by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says Enoch lived 65 years, begat Methuselah. And after he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years, had sons and daughters, so they all the days of Enoch was 365 years and Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. God took him. He didn't die. God took him. And I believe that that's what the rapture is. A rapture is the taking away of God's people. And you're not going to be taken away unless you walk with God. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Josh is going to walk with God, for he will not be here, for God will take him. Put your name in there. Brandon walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
And Randy walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Is there anybody excited about the great day of the Lord? The first rapture is that God is going to take us. The first rapture. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number 5, look at it. Hebrews 11 verse 5, it makes reference to this man called Enoch. This man called Enoch, for he was not, for God took him. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him, for he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for the rapture, you can go in the rapture if you please God. You can go in the rapture if you're walking with God. If you're walking with God, you can go in the rapture. Enoch was not, for God took him. The first rapture is Enoch. The second rapture is the prophet Elisha. The prophet Elisha was taken up as well. This is what you call typology in the Old Testament. These are types of the rapture in the Old Testament. Number two, you see Elisha. The Bible says in 2 Kings 2, verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to see the second rapture or the second catching away of somebody in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elisha into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. You see what happens here? The Bible says in 2 Kings 2, 11, look at it. 2 Kings 2 and verse 11, look at this rapture that occurred. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The second rapture, the first catching away was Enoch. He was not for God took him. The second one is Elisha. He was not, for God took him. Took him in a whirlwind. Took him up into heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the same thing that's getting ready to happen to you and I one day. You're going to be work one day. You're going to be eating your Fruit Loops. You're going to be eating your cereal. You Come on, somebody. You're going to be worshiping. You're going to be taking your kids to school. And there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound in the east. Gabriel is going to step out and sound the trumpet. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I got a grandmother over there. I got a mother over there. I got grandparents over there. It's not a sad day. It's going to be a happy day. If you think I've danced down here, you wait until I cut a rug up there. Elisha was caught up in a whirlwind. Enoch was not, for God took him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what's going to happen to us. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. Acts chapter 8, verse 39, a second type of the rapture. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. There is an Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot, and Philip, the gospel preacher, ran up to the chariot and began to preach Jesus to the man. The Bible says he's preaching Jesus to the man and takes the man down to some water and baptizes the man. The man comes up out of the water and something happens to Philip. The Bible says now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went his way rejoicing. I don't know about you, but that's a rapture right there. The Lord caught him away 
and he saw him no more. That's what's going to happen to you and I. The Lord's going to catch you away, and the world will see you no more. I don't know what Slick Willie came along and told you that there's not going to be a rapture, but I'm letting you know the Bible is still true, and there is coming a day where all of God's people will be gathered together from all the four corners of the world, and we'll be gathered together in that celestial city. Caught him away and saw him no more. Oh, if that's not enough to convince you, what about Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9? Acts 1 verse 9. Acts 1 verse number 9. There is another type of a rapture. The Bible says, Acts 1 9, that Jesus had spoken these things and the disciples begin to watch. And what happened? He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's what a rapture is. It's a taking up. It's a removing. It is snatching you out. Jesus was removed out from their sight into heaven. What about Paul? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul had this experience. Paul said in this experience that he had, he said, he said, he said, it's doubtless and profitable for me to boast, but I will come to you with visions and revelations from the Lord. Paul is talking about this experience that he has. He says in verse number two, he says, I know a man in Christ who was 14 years ago, whether he was in his body, I don't know. Whether he was out of his body, I don't know, but God knows. And I was caught up to the third heaven. You see, that's what a rapture is. A rapture is a catching away. The scripture is clear that Enoch was, was not, for God took him. Elisha was caught up in a whirlwind. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, and the preacher Philip was caught up. Jesus was caught up, and Paul was caught up. What is this telling us? The same experiences that happened to these prophets and apostles is the same experience that will happen to you and I. Don't you let anybody tell you it's not true. We're getting ready to go home. I, how do I know? You know why I know? Jesus said, when you see the fig tree bloom, you'll know that the end is near. Now, I know my grandparents was great people, but they were wrong. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Well, he couldn't have come back until the fig tree bloomed. So all those stories you've heard of all these years, Jesus couldn't have come back until the fig tree bloomed. If you would have read the Bible, you would have seen that that was the indicator of his coming. Israel had to be reestablished. Israel had to go back to their land. And Israel was scattered for thousands of years. That is why now we can boast and be confident that we are living in the last days. And Jesus is coming back for real because the fig tree has bloomed. Somebody say amen.
the fig tree has bloomed. After the rapture, the, the, one of the primary scriptures that we read for the rapture is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. That is, that is the only, uh, there, that, that is a strong reference to a rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul is telling these early Christians, don't be troubled by your family members who have passed away. He says, but I don't want you to be ignorant together. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow like you have no hope. He says in verse number 14, he says, for if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The Bible says in verse 15, look at it. The Bible says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not by no means prevent or precede those who are asleep. Verse number 16, he says this, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Verse 17, for then, the, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there anybody happy for that day? Is there anybody looking for that day? Is there anybody prayed up? Hallelujah. If you believe Jesus rose again, he said, if you believe he came out of that tomb, then you should believe that you can be resurrected out of that grave as well. Isn't it interesting? I love to study the Bible. And isn't this, this is, this is out of my overflow, okay? Overflow. So when you're studying the Bible, there are some things you just see. Look at this. Genesis 5. Look at this. Don't, don't lose me. This is, this is awesome. Which, you know, I think it's awesome, but you can be the judge of that. Genesis 5, verse 1. Look at this. Genesis 5, verse number 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. All right? In the day that God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Verse 2, he created male and female, blessed them, called them mankind in the day they were created. Now stop there. Now this is the genealogy or the family tree of Adam. And it's interesting to me that everybody that comes from Adam, they die. Look at it. Genesis 5, verse number 5. Look at it. Genesis 5, verse 5. So all the days of Adam was 930 years, and he, look at verse number 8. So all the days of Seth was 912 years, that's his son, and he, huh, verse number 11. All the days of Enosh was 905 years, and he, verse 14, he, huh, verse 17, and he, okay, you get the point. Everybody that comes from Adam, they what? Now look at this. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So you have the genealogy of Adam, and they all what? 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. For this is the genealogy of who? Who? Everybody shout it out. This is the genealogy of who? And isn't it interesting that nowhere, just go, go, just go down verse 2. Just keep going. Verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Verse 3. Judah begot Perzel. Verse 4. Ram begot blah, 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 blah. 6. Jesse begot David. David the king begot Solomon. Blah, blah. Verse 8. Asa begot. Uzziah begot. Verse 9. Hezekiah. You can just keep going down. Verse 16. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, what, what, what is the writer trying to say here? The writer is saying, everybody that is born in Adam is going to die. But nowhere in this genealogy did it say anybody died. It just said somebody begot somebody, somebody begot somebody. And begotting somebody or begetting somebody is life. Nowhere did the author say anybody died in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. All he said is this person begets this person, this person begets this person. He didn't say anything about dying. In Adam's genealogy, he says this person begets this person and he dies. This person begets somebody and he but in genealogy of Jesus, it mentions no death whatsoever. I'm about to shout. Because if you are in sin, if you're living in Adam, you're going to die. But if you're in Christ, you will be made. Made alive. Jesus said, the writer said, that if you believe that Jesus died and was rose again or risen again, then if you believe that, then you can believe that one day your corruptible body will take on incorruption and the Spirit of God will breathe upon that dry flesh, that mortal flesh. It will be raised up out of that grave and it will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, you better get ready because the day of the Lord is nearer than you could ever imagine. Hallelujah. In Christ, we shall all be made alive, but in Adam, we all die. The first thing that happens is the rapture. The second thing that happens is right after the rapture, you and I are caught up together in the clouds and we go to a supper. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord likes to celebrate, don't he? Everybody shout a supper. Do you know what the supper is? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. You know what's going to happen? After we're raptured and we get in the air, we're taken to a celestial city where the Bible says the city has multiple gates made of gold. When you get there, the Bible indicates to us that our loved ones will meet us there. We will be known as we are known that when we are ushered into the gates of the city, the angels will take us to the gates of the city and we're ushered unto a banquet table where we sit down at a banquet table with the master. 
and not only will you sit down with each other, I'll sit down with Brandon, and I'll sit down with Mandy, I'll sit down with Sean and Danae, I'll sit down with Pastor Larry, I'll sit down with Chris and Angie, I'll sit down with Genis, uh, Joyce and Dennis, I'll sit down with David and LaDonna, we'll all sit down at the table, but not only will we sit together at the table, but Christians who have lived thousands of years before us will sit down at the table before us and with us, and we'll begin to eat a supper with the believers from around the world for thousands and thousands of years, and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to have a conversation of how we all made it over. Somebody say, I suffered divorce. I suffered rejection, but I kept believing in him. Somebody will say, I died of cancer, but I'm sitting at the table today. I lost my little baby. I lost my little girl. I lost my little girl in, a, in an accident and didn't understand why, but I didn't lose my faith. I didn't lose my trust in God. We'll all sit down at the table and we'll all share the stories of how we all made it over. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to sit down with the Apostle Peter. I'm ready to sit down with Andrew. I'm ready to sit down with my mama. I'm ready to sit down with my grandmother. I'm ready to sit down with all the saints of the ages. And there's going to be a conversation like we've never had before. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Some of them, some of them will say, I was thrown in 30, in 90 AD, I was thrown in the lion's den. Nero had my head chopped off. I've given up my family. I was thrown into a lion's den, eaten alive. But as I was going to the Colosseum, I made a decision that I was going to serve him till I die that there is no backsliding in my journey. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to shut up. When I, serve, when I signed up to serve the Lord, I signed up to serve him till I die. Ain't nobody going to talk me out of it. Ain't nobody going to persuade me differently. I'm going to serve him till I die. Somebody say amen. You got to make a... I got I to gotta calm down. I got to calm down here. I hope. You don't sit at the table and say this. <laughs> the pastor was, he just didn't shake my hand. I hope that you're not sitting at the table and you have a lousy story. The pastor asked me to come to church two times a week. I had to go to church two times, God forbid, on Sunday night. I mean, it's just too much. He asked me to give and serve. What are you going to say when they sit next to you and they say their head was chopped off? What kind of lousy story are you going to have? You served three hours in the church this week when they had their heads chopped off in a coliseum? I hope some of us ain't embarrassed at the table. It's too much. Too much. What are you going to say to the early church fathers? Who had their toenails ripped out of their feet. Tongues ripped out of their mouth. 
because they preach the gospel. And you live in one of the greatest countries ever known to the human race with more freedom and more opportunity. And some of us still complain and have attitudes and griping and grumbling and complaining. And blah, 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 blah. God help us. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, this is just perspective. God appreciates what you do. He really does. And what you do contributes to the kingdom, no matter if it's small or great. But I want to remind you that when you sit at the table, there's going to be more people sitting at the table than the American Christians. Don and Larry, stand up. Stand up, Don. My uncle and aunt, stand up. Missionaries. Pastor, stand up. Missionaries to Hong Kong for years and years and years. Wasn't easy. Wasn't easy at all. We've had multiple conversations of the complacency of the American church. When you go overseas, people have to press to worship God. People have to, people have to go for miles just to worship and read a Bible. Just, 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 just one page from the Bible. Just one page. And we got the whole Bible. God's prophetic calendar is that there is a rapture. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb where all of us is going to sit at the table and commune with the bridegroom. Jesus said this. When he lifted up the chalice and the bread... He said to those at the table, I will not eat of this until I eat it with you in my kingdom. So every time we take communion, you know what we're doing? We're practicing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus said, I'm not going to eat it again until I see you in my kingdom. Then I'll sit down and eat it with you again. So every time we come and put it in our mouth and drink it, we are remembering that life is temporary and this world is temporary and we're going to sit at a table and we're going to eat it with him again one day. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, he says, Paul gives this description. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each of us may receive the things done in the body, whether it's, whether it's good or bad. He says in verse number 11, he says, knowing therefore the terror and persuade men that will well, be well known. I also trust, trust are well known in your conscience, if I can't really see it. So you see, not only is there a rapture, a marriage supper of the Lamb, but during the same time, whether it's right before the marriage supper of the Lamb, we don't know, right after it, we're not sure, but there is a judgment seat for the Christians. You're not judged according to your sin. You're judged according to the motive of your heart and what you've done for Christ. And that's what we have to understand. 
the judgment seat. Look at the word judgment seat. Verse number 10, the word judgment is the Greek word bima, and bima is a high platform. So this is what Paul was saying. Every one of you will appear before a high platform to give an account of your life. Now, when I was growing up in old school church, LaDonna, my grandma said, baby, everything you ever, ever, ever did is going to be put on a white screen and all everybody's going to see it. Is that right? That's what they used to tell me. Everything, it's going to be on a white screen, but that's, that's not, we love them, but that's not correct theology. When you sit, stand before God, you're not going to be given account of your sin. It's forgiven. The judgment seat is a place where you will give an account for what you did for Christ and why you did it. Not your sin. Your sin was taking place at Calvary. Your sin was covered at Calvary. Your sin was atoned at Calvary. It's forgiven at Calvary. And aren't you glad that you don't have to ever bring it up again? Because y'all, y'all know what your true, you know what your true testimony is? Your true testimony is not standing up on church saying, you know, I just thank the Lord that I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Your true testimony is what you did that you don't want nobody else to know. And if you just knew what your neighbor did, you probably wouldn't sit beside of them. Am I right? The judgment has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with your motive of your heart and what you've done for Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, Romans 14, verse 10, I'm going to close with this. Romans 14, verse 10. He says, he makes makes this case about the judgment seat. But He says, but why do you judge your brother? Well, you show content for your brother. For we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So the judgment seat is not a seat for sin. It's not judging you for your sin because your sin is already judged. It is a judgment of your service for God. I will be judged on how well I pastor this church with the right motive. Did I pastor it for filthy lucre? Did I pastor it with the wrong motives? Did I help people with the wrong motives? Was I self-centered in what I did? That's what I'll be judged for. And my works will go up before God as wood, hay, and stubble, or gold. And if my motive was right, it's tried as gold. But if my motive is wrong, it's burned up. My works are burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. And that's why everything you do for the church is not a waste. If you do it with the right heart and the right motive, then your works go before God as gold. All of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is the rapture. There is a marriage supper of the Lamb. Is that right? Revelation 19, verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 7 gives us this indication that there is that marriage supper of the Lamb where we all are communing together. He calls us to a marriage supper and he says, come and be made ready. You see the rapture, you see the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll see a judgment of believers. All of this is happening right after the rapture. There is a celebration and then there's a judgment, or a judgment or a celebration. We don't know which comes first. 
but there is both of them is happening. Then on earth, as we are celebrating and being judged for our works, on earth there is a seven-year tribulation where God deals with Israel again. Israel is dealt with again. They're in their land, May 14, 1948. They're already there. They're in their land. But now God deals with them because they still reject him. And so there is seven years of great tribulation on Israel. And because of that, the whole world is affected. And the Antichrist will go into the new temple that will be erected in Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. And the children of Israel, 144,000 of them, will run to Petra and hide themselves because they understood that they rejected the true Messiah. So seven years of God's dealing with Israel on earth. As we are in heaven in a celebration, a marriage supper of the Lamb, being judged for our motives, the earth is in turmoil because of the tribulation. After the end of the tribulation, there is the battle of Armageddon. That is when God takes his people and we ride with white horses down to the valley of Armageddon and we fight with them. Of course, you know there's not going to be any fighting because he's already won the war. So there is seven years of, of great tribulation on earth. Then there's the battle of Armageddon. Then after the battle of Armageddon, there is Satan is bound. According to Revelation 20, verse 2, he's bound for a thousand years. Satan is bound for a thousand years after the battle of Armageddon. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom in Israel, like David, sets his kingdom up in Israel and rules the world from Israel. And you and I, who was resurrected from the grave, we reign with him as kings and priests in Israel. For a thousand years, Jesus sits on an actual throne in Jerusalem, an actual throne where you and I have access in and out of the throne room. He rules the world from Israel. Israel becomes God's centerpiece of kingdom. You see, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Jews said, Lord, what is the sign of your coming? And, Je and, the, Lord, and the disciples said, when will you restore Israel? When will you restore Israel? When will we have peace again? Jesus said, it's not, it's not for you to know right now. And that's what's going to happen in the thousand-year millennium. Jesus is going to keep his word. He's going to sit on the throne, and he's going to rule Israel in peace. And Israel is going to have their land for a thousand years, and they're going to have Jesus as king, and they're going to rule in peace, and you and I will be kings and priests in that kingdom. After that thousand years, Satan is loosed for just a tad. He deceives again after the great deception, the last great deception of Satan. He is then thrown into the fiery furnace. He's thrown into hell. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is not in hell right now. Satan is not in the lake of fire. And those who have committed sin are not in fire either. They're in hell waiting for the second resurrection. Satan and those unbelievers at the end of the millennium will be thrown into fire and they will be judged. So those who've rejected Jesus in the church age are in hell, but they're in a waiting place to be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan at the end of the millennium. After that, 
the scripture gives us the indication that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And then you and I will be together with him throughout the endless ages of eternity. Do you see how God's prophetic calendar is? There's a rapture. As much as we know, this is what's going to happen. A rapture. There's going to be a judgment of believers in heaven. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a great tribulation on earth. After the tribulation, a battle of Armageddon. After that, he sets up his kingdom in Israel. We reign with him. After that, Satan is bound a thousand years, and unbelievers are judged, and Satan is judged and thrown into the lake of fire, and then God's new heaven and new earth comes about. These are the prophetic things that's getting ready to happen according to what we see and what we read. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a time for us to be doubtful. It's not a time for us to be in despair. It's not a time for us to be discouraged. Actually, this is a great opportunity for us to win the lost. And it's a great opportunity for us to tell people that Jesus is coming back. In, in, in Adam, we all, but in Christ, we're all made